track limits. For temper, a mattress like no other. Proud sponsors of the Formula One on SEM. Okay, that was a third stroke of track limits. You've now been given the black and white flag. Is Cam inside or outside the track? I'm not going to go as controversial as last week, Carl. I did go pretty controversial, but I won you over by the end of last week's when I made a comment about Liam Lawson and Daniel Ricciardo. This week is probably less controversial, but a statement I'd love to hear from you on one 736 736 if you want to call in, or you can SMS us on the 40 Winks Temper text line 0433 16. Am I on track or am I off track within track limits? McLaren will lose Oscar Piastri if they continue to prioritise and favour Lando Norris. Carl, you're an Australian. You're probably right there with me. But they really potentially stand to lose both drivers if they continue to put all of their eggs into one basket. That is another good one. Last week, you really had me stumped. And, and you did win me over last week. That was a, that was a good one. This week with Oscar, I, I feel for him. I feel like... I, I know perception there's probably uh, an element of perception with it but perceptions become reality right we all know that and it doesn't look good from the outside looking in it does look like there is a level of favoritism obviously lando's been there he's a long-standing driver but oscar's the up-and-comer they need to be giving him some opportunities and the rule of thumb with on-track performance and priority has always been the car that has track position that is ahead on track gets priority uh, strategy and that's just not been taking place so i guess that's that's hence the question you're asking well i'd like uh, everyone else to join in on that remember one 736 736 call in or text 0433 am i on the right track am i inside track limits with that call do they stand to lose both and particularly oscar remember we are going to have our brand new CEO, Travis Old, from the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, joining us shortly. So if you've got any questions for him as well, remember to call in and text in. Carl, save up some of those bullets. We've got plenty more coming up on the other side of this break. Join the conversation. Text us on 0433-98-1116. You're listening to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reidler. And we've also got a very special guest joining us now. So remember, text or call us any chance you get if you would like to have a chat to the brand new CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, Travis Old. Thank you for joining us in studio. Cam, thanks for having me. And hi, Carl. G'day, Travis. Thanks for uh, coming along. So now, mate, you've been part of the biggest sport in Australia, the AFL. Well-regarded, well-known, well-renowned. You've now come and joined us in the world of one of arguably... Actually, I'm probably I'm not even going to say it's arguable. If you look right now, one of the hottest sports in the world is Formula One when it comes to average viewing age, in terms of demographic splits. It is flying. That's my pitch to you. You've, I don't need to pitch it. You're now the new CEO. What attracted you to leave the biggest sport in Australia for one of the biggest sports in the world? Yeah, that's obviously a question I asked myself for some time. I was, I was in footy, as you said, for, I don't know, the best part of 20 years. And uh, you don't leave a uh, career like that, unless it's a, for a good reason. And so I spent a bit of time thinking about it. And I reckon you did a good job of summarising it. It's the hottest sport in the world at the moment. Um, the numbers tell you that. Um, and Australia is a, is a representation of what's happening globally. Um, I was, I've been a, fortunate enough to see the, the Grand Prix Corporation from the outside and enjoy the event um, for a number of years. Uh, and now I'm four weeks on the inside and I can see why it does what it does. Yeah, well, 
let's start talking some numbers because I was in your office the other day. I think, I'm not sure you were there. I was talking to the team at the time and it was the day after the pre-registration sale had gone online. The numbers of ticket sales for an event that has been in this country since 1985, it's been in Melbourne since 1996, you must be incredibly proud to be walking into a team that is delivering these sorts of numbers. Yeah, and it is an actual privilege, Cam, when you put it that way, that um, to walk in an organisation that's doing what it's done now for a number of years um, um, means that we can focus on what we can do better rather than trying to fix a whole lot of things. Um, we don't take, and I talk to the team and talk on behalf of the team, we don't take where we're at for granted. Um, that's one thing that's really pleasing. But we went on sale um, a week ago and when we pressed the button, um, there was 100,000 people waiting in the queue. <laughs> that's, that's a record, isn't it? Like, that's it not... is a record. I think it's a record for sport in this country. Um, and again, we don't take that level of interest for granted, but then the pressure's back on us to make sure we put on a good show, and um, and that's what our focus is now. So talking about that show, where, where do you go, right? So Carl and I are about to fly over to Singapore, and we see fantastic events and atmosphere and corporate hospitality. Sport in Australia, you're, you're fighting... You're fighting for some some massive airtime. I mean, we we just you're selling tickets in the middle of AFL finals seasons. So I think that's that's a, I guess a testament to your team as well that they're queuing up. I, I would imagine you almost had to time it actually because didn't ticket sales for the AFL go on sale about the same time the ticket sales for the Grand Prix went on? You share of wallet. It's a tough ask. How do you do it? Yeah, and I, I know, you know ours is obviously in March and. We saw what the, the um, AFL finals did on the weekend. And so we know Melburnians and Australians love sport. They love a big event. Yeah. Um, so if you put the show on and you do it right, they'll, they'll certainly turn up in their numbers. Your question about where it goes from here, um, um, I think there's always things you can do better. And so the obvious answer is, can we make capacity bigger? <clears throat> it's 444,000, I think, there um, over the four days last year, which is extraordinary in a record uh, this year, sorry. And then... Um, I think the, the conversation has to be around um, how do you provide the best experience um, without getting too greedy on capacity. And so we want to make sure that we focus first on experience before we try and get more people in. Um, and then the challenge is, is changing every year because I saw the other day that one in, one in three F1 fans globally uh, started following the sport in the last four years. Yeah. Uh, that the demographic is becoming younger and skewing more towards female than it has. And so we've got people turning up. I think our event last, uh, sorry, this year was 37% of people turned up were there for the first time. That's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy, but it's, it's an opportunity. But the challenge for us is to make sure that that the experience exceeds their expectations and they start queuing up wanting to come again next year. And because they're new and they're younger, and there's more female attendees than previously. They're looking for different things. Yeah. So we've got to keep ahead of that. And so this thing doesn't have a finish line. And we've got other sports in this country doing incredibly well. Tennis comes to mind. We talk about the Australian Open. It's funny you say that because I was at an event with Craig Tiley not that long ago. And he, he gave me a vision for what he wants for the Australian Open. That's kind of what I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to pick your brain about. I mean, his vision is completely um, queueless. You know, payment payment free, almost using the Amazon style of grab and go. He's got an incredible view of never having to touch a ticket, a bit of paper, or anything else. Yep. Do you have a similar sort of vision for the sport? I mean, you've been in sport for some time. You've been in the top end of town in sport. Yeah, where where do we go? Where do we go? And I, I know I'm asking the same question again. I'm going to rephrase it now and say that with Craig Tiley looking at this, you know, 
future focus for the event. Is that the similar mindset you're bringing to the Grand Prix Corporation? Yeah, I think and I admire Craig and the team and what they've done for a number of years and the way that every year he tries to set the bar a little higher and um, we all benefit from that. The the answer, to, I mean, it's a, it's a question you could spend a fair bit of time answering, but the, there's a couple of points come to mind is that one is the experience starts when someone leaves their home and it ends when they get back home. And so we've got to own that whole experience. And when you're putting up an event in a park, um, some of those things are more challenging, but there's also greater opportunity because of space and a whole range of things. So that's that's sort of point one. Point two is that, and again, tennis does this well, is that there's something for everyone. Um, and our event, you see that the you know, whether it's family, whether you've been a 20 year F1 follower, we've got to make sure when you walk in there, you can see something for you and for your family and what you want to achieve out of the out of the um, out of the day. So that part is a big focus for us. Um, I'm guessing we're trying to do the same thing that tennis is doing, AFL and others are doing, that when you put on a big event, you've got a lot of people in the same space. You want to be able to get them in out quickly. You want to be able to get a drink quickly. You want to reduce queues. But you want them to have a lot of fun. And I think fun is something that F1 is known for. Yeah. Um, and they love putting on a big show. And so we've got to mirror that here. And um, I think that's the challenge for us. If you've got a question for the new CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, Travis Old, remember to call in 1300 736 736, or you can also jump onto the 40 Wings Temper text line 0433 98 11 16. See a few people have been calling in. I'm uh, intrigued as to what some of the questions might be, Travis. I did see social media, and I, I don't think I've ever seen the amount of social media lighting up because people couldn't get a ticket for an event that has 400 and something thousand people. It's a challenge and I'm, you're not going to shy away from that challenge, but at the same time, it's probably a, a, a problem that a lot of sports wish they had. Yeah. And, and so we don't like people missing out on the ticket. So as much as it's a good problem to have, we don't take any satisfaction from people not being able to get a ticket. Um, and so what we've got to do is keep broadening the event. And so it's Thursday through to Sunday. There is access on the Thursday. and it's not the main race day, but, but Thursday, Friday, there's still lots happening. Um, so the challenge for us is how do we continue to build that out and give people the opportunity to go if they can't get there on the, on the Sunday? Um, and right now, as we speak, we've got Sunday sold out. All the grandstands for Saturday sold out. There's still some general admission on the Saturday. And then Thursday, Friday, there's some space. And so there's still tickets there whether it's to the Sunday, unfortunately not, but the other three days. Yeah, and there's no, no space to build greater grandstands. We've got no ability, well, no capacity. And this is the, this is the conversation that um, maybe at some point in time, but we want to get the experience right first um, before we think about uh, increasing capacity. And, and how do you cater? This is a really interesting challenge, I'd imagine. The sport's been grappling with for years and then the Netflix Drive to Survive series comes along and just completely changes it overnight and, and for multiple reasons. And we'll dissect that on another show on another day. But you've got young female audience coming in and I know we've got uh, one of your chief comms team, Hayden, here joining in, listening and he's always listening in and making sure I'm doing the right thing. But Hayden shared with me a little while ago that you've never seen ticket sales with groups of young women buying tickets as as a group as opposed to being part of a partnership you know coming to the event catering for that audience that's only four years old when it comes to their interest in formula one versus a diehard who's been to every single grand prix since it turned up in 1985 in adelaide some of them not a colder park back in 1980 how do you cater for both yeah and that's the, the point we come back to is that um if this is the tenth year you've been in a row, and you know where you're going, and you're going to Fangio stand, and you're going to enjoy that, then that's fantastic. But if it's your first time, you've got to be able to find your way around. But there's also an education piece about what they should expect and what's happening on track, and what does that mean. And so, that, that's where the um, the challenge is on us to make sure that no matter how many times you've been, and whether you're day one in the sport or been doing it for a long time, 
that um, you have an equally good experience and, and um, we've got a pole park to do that. Yeah. With, so we're fortunate in that sense and we can create different zones for different fans and, and um, so they have a, a, an experience that's unique and bespoke to them. Well, and Carl, feel free to throw elbows. I do talk a bit, and he'll tell you that very shortly as well. Should we get on some racing, Carl? What do you reckon? Should we start asking the new CEO a bit, a bit about Oscar and Daniel? Yeah, I reckon so. That's a good uh, That's a good shout. So, Oscar, Daniel, Liam now as well. Huge audience coming out of New Zealand. I've, I've been doing lots of crosses over with that, my colleagues over at SENZ. Liam coming on is just a, a burst and a shot in the arm of that, that across-the-ditch tourism as well that we're going for. Now that you've taken this role, I have no doubt you've been looking at it very closely. Such an exciting time for this part of the world to be involved in the sport. Yeah, and, and we're a bit spoilt that um, as a relatively small country um, that we've got two drivers from Australia and one from New Zealand and, you know, has, as it has it, one, uh, one of the Australian guys is out and New Zealand is in. And so yeah, no doubt that makes it easier. It makes it more interesting. Um, and, and Oscar seems like he might be a... Uh, um, star of the future, <clears throat> and so uh, having just been over to the states, uh, not the states, sorry, to the um, UK, and then to um, Italy to Monza, th- there's a lot of talk in the paddock about Oscar and Mark Webber as his manager and yeah. on our board, and so um, you can see that that he's well regarded um, by the by the teams. Um, so we interesting to see where that goes. So when you went over to the UK, and again, sorry, Carl, we'll get you to get in a second. Yeah, you had to go and meet Stefano Domenicali and have a good chat with him. Where, where's his brain at with where the sport goes and, and how Australia fits? Yeah, well, I mean, so, yes, the short answer is we did. We had a, a conference at the F1 head offices for a couple of days with all the promoters, which was really interesting and valuable for me being four weeks into the, into the role. Um, but also to have someone like Mark on our board who was able to, to show me around and introduced me to the teams and, and the people involved in the sport was incredibly valuable. And we've also got Mick Dillon on our board and Mick's son is obviously in F2 and um, doing a really good job. So <clears throat> we had a chance to have a chat to them and, and um, there's no doubt that, that F1 is not comfortable with where they are. They want to keep that momentum going um, and they won't attribute everything to where we are with Drivers Survive. They think it's bigger than that and needs to be bigger than that. And so they're going to keep keep pushing the envelope. So they're, they're an ambitious, aggressive organisation, which you'd want them to be. Um, it's going to market uh, their brand really hard. I thought I'd give him a little bit of space, but Carl's obviously it, thinking at the moment. Carlos. Yes. I, uh, to be honest, it's been fascinating to, to hear uh, your insights, Travis. Tell us about Monza. I'm curious to hear that. How many Formula One Grand, Grands Prix have you attended before? Is this, uh, is this quite a new thing for you, the, the, the sport in general? Uh, it is. I'm, I'm one of the ones that sort of gained a passion for the sport in the last few years. Um, I mean, I've been to plenty of events, obviously, at Albert Park and um, like a lot of Victorians and loved, loved what the event stood for. But now having been... Um, to Monza and I also went to Monaco uh, before I started this role um, and c- to see what the sport does around the, the world and the way that it's revered by the fans and um, you know you see what the Dutch do with Max and so <laughs> there's this whole sort of um, I, what, I, what I, I think the, the short answer is what you notice very quickly either through broadcast or being at an event is every race has its own personality and that's what F1 loves about it, that they don't want one vanilla. They are celebrating that? Because I start asking that question, right? And, so, and, and I do work with Formula One. I'll be working with them next weekend. I, I work with them as part of the event here in Australia. And you sometimes feel that they, 
trying to make every Grand Prix feel a little bit like the Dutch Grand Prix because it's, you know, the upbeat, it's the really getting into that um, electronic dance music and other things. But is that are they genuinely buying in on allowing us to have Australian flavour? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm very aware I'm sort of four weeks in here and you've been doing this a lot longer than me. But the messages I'm getting is they want each event to stand on its own two feet and that, that the Australian Grand Prix is unique to Albert Park and it's the things that we love about Albert Park and the Melbourne skyline and the, all that stuff that goes with it. Um, yeah, they want to make it bigger and better, but they don't want to create one size fits all. And that for me was fantastic because I think what we can do is make ours quite unique. And there's a lot of attributes to our event that, that we can celebrate and grow. What do they see when you, when you spoke to them? Because um, you're a, a highly intelligent man. I've seen your entire background, read the resume. You would have allowed oxygen for them to tell you what they thought and what they saw. What do they see for Australia? Yeah, I, I think that the first thing they talk about is that having a race in the middle of the city is so important to them and the, and the drivers love it. And I, I think having come you know, from sport for 20 plus years and a different sport, but it, you need the athletes to love what they're doing and love being at that particular, whether it's a stadium or a, or a track. And so to hear them say that was really, really um, pleasing for me. They, they, want, um, they want it to be uniquely, uniquely Australian. Um, they want us to continue to think about how we bring Melbourne and Australia to life on track. Um, one of the, one of the um, challenges we have, but also one of the big opportunities, is we, we've got a pretty full on-track program. You know this better than me. And, but they, they love the supercars. They talk a lot about what the supercars brings to our event and, how we, and, the, and the audience that comes with that. And so it's, it's about doing what we do currently, uh, but making it better. There's, yeah. not, there's not any great feedback to say, hey, we want you to stop doing this and start yeah. doing something different. It's keep doing what you're doing, but keep getting better at it. And I think that's the message that we've, you know, internally. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Travis, I'd love if you could stick around a little bit into the other side of this ad break. Carl, start writing down your questions because I did suck all the oxygen out of the room, which I do have a habit of doing. You're tuned in to SEN. We'll be back with Gridwalk on the other side of this. Join the conversation. Text us on 0433-98-1116. You're listening to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reibler. And our guest, Travis Old, who's here, who's the new CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation. So it's great to have Travis sticking around for another segment with us. We'll get into details with him shortly. But we have got someone calling in right now. He was on the show last week. He's the Director of Motorsport for Motorsport Australia, and Michael Smith. He'll be joining us now for what has become a regular segment for us, the Stewards Room. This is where we look at some of the decisions that have happened from the Federation Internationale de l'Automobile, the FIA, the governing body of world motorsport, and we pull apart and have someone who's one of the local representatives of the FIA tell us what's going on. Michael, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Ken. Good to be back. Mate, I know you would love to be in studio, but you had some duties out at Sandown Raceway. I snuck out early, but not for uh, not for people like yourself. No rest for the wicked, as they say. We'll jump straight in, though, Michael. FIA, big findings this week. Um, all teams were found to be within the £108 million cost cap. Last year, massive news when Red Bull and Aston Martin cop penalties for the 2021 season. 2022 seems to be all fine. But, Michael, is it always that clear-cut? Uh, no, it's not always that clear-cut, Cam, as you know. And, of course, a month or so ago, there was rumours, of course, that um, a couple of teams may have breached the cost cap again this year. And, of course, the FIA have come out this week to say that they haven't. 
I'd have to say, Cam, I reckon it's really working, though, don't you? I mean, I think this year it, it was obviously introduced to even up the field, similar to what an AFL draft does. Um, you know, we saw Williams last weekend that was pretty competitive in Monza, and I guess two years ago that may not have been the case. So I think it's certainly having the impact or the desired outcome that the FIA are seeking to achieve. Um, but... Unpacking this cost cap, it's not an easy thing. Yeah, how, to do, how do they do it though, mate? Like 180, 108 million pounds, that's a lot of money in anyone's language. How do you actually monitor that? I mean, what do they do? Yeah, look, it's not, it's, it's not easy. It's certainly a very difficult task. Um, and probably what is even more difficult is for teams like Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull to limit themselves to only spending 108 million pounds. Effectively, the, the FIA put an auditor into each team to monitor the spend and, and it's important to know that things like marketing um certainly the driver's salaries and interestingly cam and carl the three top salaries within the team irrespective of the drivers are also not included in that cap the fia essentially have an auditor um embedded in each of those teams and they look at all the ins and outs and make sure that they're not exceeding the cap now very quickly, though, because I be, I was at Singapore a few years ago, and I, I love using that word. I'm pretty excited about going over there again, as you can tell. Christian Horner called out, you mentioned Red Bull before, he called out the manufacturers, particularly Ferrari, particularly Mercedes, and said, we can't hide our budgets because all we do is race cars. We're a racing car team. They can hide their money in other divisions. How does the FIA deal with a Mercedes and a Ferrari that run race teams within a broader manufacturer? Oh, look, they're pretty sophisticated. And, and, you know, another thing that's important to note, I mean, I'm sure all your listeners would be aware, there are some teams that are customer engine, uh, they've got a customer supply engine arrangement. There's provision in the in the rules to allow them to spend 15 million uh, US dollars on an engine, which is in excess of the cost cap. Um, they're pretty uh, sophisticated systems and they have set costs for all of the componentry and, and all that sort of thing. So with the... the um, and sorry, it's also important to note they trialled this for a full year in 2020 to make sure that the systems were accurate. And I think, to be honest with you, I think they've got it pretty much down pat. All right, Michael. Well, I'll take your word for it. You're a man in the know. Very quickly, though, before we let you go, Track Sweepers, another one of our segments. We talked about our F2 and F3 drivers before. You've got a bit of news, though, for some young women that are rapidly moving along. What's, what's the update for, for some of our young drivers out there? Yeah, talk about Aussie talent, and I heard you talking earlier about what we've got coming through the ranks, and, and certainly in F1 at the moment, but young Joanne Chaconte, who um, has just been selected as one of four young women by the FIA Girls on Track uh, program to be in a shootout with the Ferrari Driver Academy, she'll go to Maranello in November and hopefully get selected to become part of the Ferrari Driver Academy. Joanne's a young Carter from Melbourne. Um, great to have another Melbourneian on the F1 scene like we've got with Oscar. So that's really good news for Formula One fans, but also for those girls that are trying to get their way into the sport. All right. Before we let you go, are you jumping on a plane to Singapore as well? No, I won't see you there this uh, week. You can, but you're I'll, off the uh, show. You're I'll, off I'll the show you. for next week, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have fun. Thank you, mate. We'll let you go. We really appreciate Michael Smith calling in again. Travis Old, whilst we've got you still in the studio at the moment, great to hear some young female drivers on the rise as well. I mean, that should be uh, looking a few years down the road. Imagine having a female Australian Formula One driver on the grid. Yeah, obviously we've got F1 Academy now at a number of circuits and um, 
uh, that was a big part of the agenda with the F1 guys over the conference. Um, and so to have, if we could have an Australian driver in F1 Academy, I think we'd probably round it out between sort of F1, F2, F3, and then F1 Academy. No, it's incredible when you think about it. Um, and Carl, I'm going to come to you next for, for the next question of Travis, but I, I'm going to go now. I can't go controversial because you've just started in the job and we'll save that for another show in the future. I've no doubt we'll, we'll go down that path. But um, Sydney have made some big noises about stealing events off us. The Australian Grand Prix Corporation is, you know, entrenched on St Kilda Road. It is a big part of Melbourne. It's been here since 1996. Forget what happened. All my South Australian mates will be telling me it's always, always better in Adelaide. They tell me everything's better in Adelaide. But um, from what you understand, and I know you've only just come into the role, how real is that threat and how much is that ever present? That you know, We've signed a good big deal now. Thank you very much, Victorian Government. Very happy with that. But that maintaining this jewel in the crown of the Australian sports scene and our city being the sporting capital of the world? Yeah, look, what I do know is that um, how much states value major events to drive economic and social benefit. And so when I was um, at the AFL and we had the gather round and we're talking to South Australian government about the gather round and bringing it around to to Adelaide and the Premier, every third sentence, he wanted to remind us that we stole the Grand Prix (laughs) off them and how it was better there and which it wasn't. And, uh, And so... It is fantastic to have an event through to 2037 that we own and no one can take off us um, and we won't let anyone take that off us. And one of our one of our sort of drivers, I suppose, is to make sure that in five, six, seven years' time, F1 knocking on our door saying, can, can we please extend? Can we add another five years, ten years to that? Um, because it's an event that we love. Um, it's clearly well-supported and, and um, it's a fantastic event here in Albert Park and that's where it should stay. Well, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, as a proud Melbourneian now, uh, I think it should absolutely stay in uh, in Victoria. This, is, this and, is the same guy, though, mate. When he moved uh, to Melbourne, he he literally he he lived with me, Carl, when he was a supercars driver, and he used to walk around with a beanie and shorts on in the middle of winter and turn the heater up high. So he calls himself a Melbourneian now. Sorry, Carl, go. I just had to let everyone know it's, it's been ten years. And look, just just to finish on that, I, I just think you, you just can't replicate the Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park. There's nothing quite like it. As Travis, you mentioned earlier. You know, the Formula One, Stefano obviously loved the Australian Grand Prix for what it brings. The drivers love coming there. I just can't see New South Wales doing a better job of it, which is the, the only question you need to be asking, in my opinion. Uh, Travis, I've got a question for you. Uh, obviously, we had uh, F2, F3 join us at the Australian Grand Prix earlier this year. You've obviously got Mick Dewan on the, uh, the board and, and young Jack, his son, obviously competing uh, very well with a few race wins under his belt uh, this year in Formula Two. How important is that to, to retain F2 and F3 coming to Australia? Well, I think it's very important. The, um, in fact, it's part of the contract through to 2037 um, for, for a few reasons. One is that um, uh, motorsport fans love to see young talent come through. And again, we're blessed that we've got Jack there. I think he's sitting fourth on the championship at the moment. So he's not just there making up the numbers. He's actually competing for a, for a spot in the podium. And to have the famous doing name... Um, um, in whatever sport that is, um, is is fantastic, and to have Mick on our board sort of tops it off. So that that there's no doubt people like to watch it. Our numbers tell us that that the um, two and three are really important. And we've got the, as we say, the F1 Academy's building now, and if we could get Joanne through to the F1 Academy, that'd be uh, pretty special. So it is part of the. It's certainly a big part of the um, the event, as is as is supercars and the and the Porsches um, going around. So all that is, I think, is a big part of what makes the, the event so great.
Yeah, I've got to say, Cam, I think you'd agree. The racing from F2 and F3 this year was sensational. Um, some of the best racing I think we've had. And I know as a you know, it was a long time ago, but as a young Aussie trying to make it overseas and pursue the pathway of Formula One, trying to drum up some local interest is, is bloody difficult as a, as a young Australian. So to I think it's fantastic. Uh, I know that the limelight was shone on some of the young Aussies. And obviously we had, I think uh, there were three uh, young Aussies that were competing in F3 this year as well. Uh, I, I just think it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm all for it. Now, on that point, I guess one of the really interesting things, Travis, that, that I've seen in recent years, Melbourne Walk is uniquely Australian. It's an incredible experience. I was there with all of the international broadcast teams filming uh, the crowd singing You're the Voice down Melbourne Walk. It was incredible what went on there. Um, but the bit about F2 and F3... The drivers are experiencing the ability to walk down there and starting to get um, entrenched in what it's like to be a Formula One driver. A few of the team's PR people said that they actually enjoyed putting their F2 drivers down there because it was a, a big change on how they go about their weekend. So keep doing the Melbourne walk. I know everyone well, enjoys I, that. I can, tell you, I can tell you one thing. I had a meeting with James Vales, the um, team principal from Williams, and I asked him, what, what do we do well and what can we get better at? And the first thing he said is that Melbourne walk is brilliant. The drivers love it. The fans love it. It works really well that everyone gets the opportunity to see their, their drivers. Um, and whatever you do, don't let it go. So that's, that's nice. We're going to take a quick break in just a second. We'll lose you there. We're looking at MotoGP up on our screens here at the moment. We've got a big event coming up, the Australian Motorcycle Grand Prix. That's yeah. going to be great. Yeah, fantastic. And so the team's very focused on that at the moment. Um, we've got a big crowd again. There's still some tickets there if you're keen to, to get down to the island. Um Obviously, Jack Miller's homecoming, and he's keen to do well there. And so I'd encourage you all to get down there and, and enjoy it. And he always goes well there. Travis Old, thank you very much for joining us in the studio. We're going to take a break on SEN. Join the conversation. Text us on 0433-98-1116. You're listening to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reidler. Time to bring it home on Gridwalk. And this is a new segment I'm starting to play with, Carlos. I hope you go with me. I'm calling it DRS. Do you know what the DRS stands for? What, drag, redu uh, no. drag reduction system? No. no wrong. Wrong. <laughs> go on, tell you me You may think that, but you're a technical uh, driver, whatever else. I call yeah, it yeah. drama, rumours and socials. Do you like that? Do you like what I, I did I, there? It's very, very clever, mate. Very clever. Okay, I'm going to start with a bit of drama for you. I'm going to hit you straight off the top. Felipe Massa, legal action is heating up. Now, are you across this? The 2008 World Drivers' Championship, which included Crashgate at an event we've been talking about quite a bit tonight, which is Singapore. Um, this could overturn a, a world championship from way back when. What do you think? I I think it's a can of worms, firstly. Uh, if, if Assuming it does get some traction. It's getting traction now, mate. Like, it's getting traction <laughs> genuinely in courts. Like, they are asking for documents right now. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, uh, it's it's been done. I think you've, you've got to walk away from it, you know. Uh, there's so many other things that contribute to your performance over the course of a season as well, depending on one one thing in particular. I know it came down to a very, very fine margin at the end of the season, but... 
Carl, uh, the rest of the it's season... It's a can of worms. It didn't affect the rest of the season other than that one event. The next event, they were in new cars. They were off racing again. It was a moment in time. Oh, this is... We we found a point of difference here, mate. I think Felipe Massa is well within his rights to have a crack. The courts are there for a reason. Now, this is... is it's You're right. It's, it's opening up a massive can of worms, but I think he's well within his rights to actually ask the question. On the line is a World Drivers' Championship to have next to your name. Would you not... As a driver, Carl, as a Australian Formula 3 champion, imagine you had the opportunity because someone took it away from you. In your belief, that may not be what's legally right, but, yeah, but wouldn't, you, but drivers, wouldn't you want to pursue it? Drivers talk about hollow victories. You know, when there's been a penalty given post-race and they end up with a podium finish, it's not quite the same flavour or taste. It's it's just... Yeah, but we know, know they deliberately it. crashed. Like, we know that. That's a matter of fact that they so deliberately crashed. A, Here's a question for you. How far back do we go? Because how many championships have gone down to the wire? I can think of several in the mid-90s or early to mid-90s that went down to a controversial decision at the end of a, end of a season. You know, uh, are we going to be reigniting other, um, you know, controversial well, it's races funny, or It's funny you say that because there is one Lewis Hamilton watching this who may potentially apply a similar logic and theory to 2021. But we'll, we'll, open, uh, we'll open up that can of worms a little later on, mainly when I get my mate Ted Kravitz on. I think I'm looking for... We, we may need to dedicate an hour to a conversation about 2021 at one stage. But, so, Carl, we found one point of difference. We're going to follow that Felipe Massa story as it unfolds throughout the rest of this year. Now, this is one you love. And it, it wasn't great at the time, but it's a great story. Formula One driver Carlos Sainz, fresh off uh, his wonderful result in Monza. Not what he wanted, but he got a good result anyway. Had his Richard Mille watch stolen. $300,000 worth of watch. And what did he do, Carlos? Did he just let that watch go? Absolutely not. No, he chased the thief down the street. Held the... My understanding, he, he basically caught up with the thief, held them until the police arrived and, and basically got his watch back and the uh, the thief was arrested. I mean, what a what a legend. This is off the back of his performance at the Monza Grand Prix as well. Hasn't kicked up a fuss about it. Just just all in a day's work for Carlos Sainz. Yeah, he's, he's bolted down the street, but wouldn't you? Over $300,000 worth of watch. Firstly, I would never have... I, I couldn't afford a $300,000 <laughs> watch, but secondly, I, I would, I'd probably chase for quite some time, I reckon. Yeah, 100%. You would too, but um, yeah, uh, I'm astounded that he you know, at, at what he did. That's just uh, mind-blowing. All right, we're going to get into rumour. So we've got a bit of drama. We've got a bit of rumour now. Lando Norris to Red Bull. I know we hinted at it last week. I know I've talked about Oscar leaving the team if he doesn't get his own way. But how real do you think Lando Norris talking to Helmut Marco, Christian Horner and the crew at the end of this contract jumping out of McLaren into Red Bull? I just don't know how legit it actually is at this early stage. I mean, there's been conversations with Checo about next year. He's obviously committed for next year. I, I don't know how soon this is going to happen. I'm sure there's conversations going on, but is it a storm in a teacup? I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's always conversations going on up and down pit lane about drivers going here, drivers going there. Would I like to see Lando at, uh, at Red Bull? I, I'd like to see him at a team other than McLaren. I think he's you know, he's proven himself at McLaren. But the sign of a true driver, is, to me, is a driver that can change teams, the likes of Fernando Alonso, and still able still able to perform at the, the top level right. in, a, in a different team. All right, Carlos, that's the end of Gridwalk. We're not far away. Next week, we'll be coming to you from Singapore. Carl Ryan will be driving the medical car, and I'll be one of the commentators on F1 Track TV. Thank you so much for joining us on Gridwalk. Episode 2 in the books. We'll be running this right up to the final race at the end of November. Stick around for our show next week.